Perry. Steve Perry. Steve Perry. Steve Perry. And I should have been gone. Steve Perry. Huh? Hey, how's it going? Great. How you doing? Great. Great. Thanks Appreciate for doing your time. This. Yeah. Well, that watch. I know how to use it. <laughs> awesome. I listened to your last uh, your last podcast, and um, I thought it was funny because the um, the end of you were talking about Men in Black. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you're aware of that, but I wrote the novelization for the movie Men in Black. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, 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 noticed, yeah, we noticed that. that. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty awesome to see. Um, I'm going to have to pick up a copy now and read that one. Yeah, I, I thought it was better than the movie, but, you know, I'm prejudiced. <laughs> yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, where do you want to start off with today? Well, first of all, uh, if uh, anyone's joining us here, so... Uh, welcome, Steve Perry, to the Frog Brothers podcast. We are talking Shadows of the Empire, um, and actually, it's uh, celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. Can you believe that? Yeah, I can. Yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we feel the same way, too. So Yeah. It's pretty exciting, though. So, um, you got to say, we're big fans. Your work has uh, touched us in many ways in different areas, and it's, you know, as we did some research besides the book, just seeing other areas you've influenced us. So um, you may or may not remember writing this episode of the real Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> yep. You got the writing credit on that one. So that was a household classic growing up. Yeah. So you've got quite the, the resume there. So what's it like to uh, work with all these different broad sci-fi properties? What's uh, what's that been like for you? Oh, I think it's fascinating. I mean, it's, it's somebody else has built a toy and you get to go in and play with it. And so you don't have to come up with all the backstory and the structure. I mean, when you, when you write your story, obviously you got to do your business, but, but the, the fact is, is that, you know, Lucas creates this great toy and lets us play with it. And of course there's some strictures, there's some things you, you can't do. Uh, and there are people that did things with it that you know, I wasn't necessarily happy with, but hey, that's the way it works. It's his toy. So you go in, you get to play with it. And I mean, I got to do stuff like where did where did Batman learn how to fight? You know, from Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, where did Conan you know, get all those muscles from? I mean, when, when you work in some other universe like that, what does Darth Vader think about when he's sitting inside the hyperbaric chamber? I mean, this is cool. I get to write this stuff down. Where did where did they get the the, the bomb? You know, all these things. Where did the costume come from? It's like. Nobody, nobody wrote that down. Can, can I say that? Yeah, go ahead. So it's, that's, I think it's great. I mean, it, it's a lot of fun. You get paid well, you, you get, you sell a lot of books. I mean, I'm still making money from Shadows of the Empire 25 years later. Not a lot, but, and, and, and Disney's paying me. So that's even better. <laughs> yeah. Hey, 25 years later, that's amazing. And uh, hopefully if you had any character from Shadows of the Empire that could translate well to the modern, in, uh, the modern Star Wars era, what would you, which character would you bring over? Oh, I'd like to see them do something with Shizor, uh, you know, more than they've done. I mean, they've done, they play with him a little bit, but, uh, and of course I killed him off, but, <laughs> but of course no, nobody ever really dies in science yes, fiction. Yes. Right. They're always, there's always a way to bring them back. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have done what they did in Wonder Woman either, but you know, it's you know, Spock came back, and that was I was okay with Spock coming back. So, um, oh, it yeah. depends on how it's done. It, it it always goes to how well do you pull it off? Can you write it? Can you direct it? Can you get the actors? And if you can pull all that stuff off, 
I mean, there's, there's other characters that I played with in Shadows, um, but part of the joy for me was that, that uh, I got to go in and, and fool around with Icon, I mean, Darth Vader. That was, that was one of the selling points. I got called up, um, the way I, I probably you know, seen the backstory and how I got the job, but the, the way I got the job was because I'd written a novelization of a movie for uh, uh, Band of Books, Tom Dupree was my editor, and he said, look, I got this deal. I got a movie novelization that I got to get in a hurry. I need it fast. I don't really have any money to speak of. And, you know, would, would you be interested? Because, you know, he was asking me a favor. And I said, well, you know, what's the project? So it's The Mask, yeah. Jim Carrey. He said, oh, hell yeah. I mean, this would be great. I mean, why, why wouldn't I want to be able to go and play with this stuff? So I did, I did it fast. In fact, it was, a, I think it was one of the fastest novelizations I'd ever done. It took like 18 days or something like that. And so I, I got it done. And said, and he said, okay, I owe you one. I said, oh, okay, cool. Well, what he gave me was Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, that's so, a pretty good return there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good return of my money. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask you specifically because, you know, they've expanded on Darth Vader, but in 1996 when Shadows of the Empire came out, you know, that really set precedent. You had a lot of Darth Vader's inner monologue going on in there that we'd never really experienced before. We'd only had a glimpse, so you know, what, what influenced on how you wrote Darth Vader then at that time? Well, that was one of the selling points that Tom Dupree said, you can have two villains, you know, she's our, the, the, the Lucy Wilson, uh, who was the head of the publishing uh, section at that point, Lucy Will, Wilson and, uh, oh, Howard Rothman was there, uh, uh, Sue Rostoni, uh, Leland Chi, people like that were all running this stuff. And they basically said, well, they, he was off limits. You weren't allowed to fool around with, with those characters in, in, all, in the novelization, which later became, you know, not canon. But um, it, so, so part of it was like, well, I can have Vader? Well, my first question is, is what was he thinking about when he was sitting in that tank? <laughs> you know, was he really? I mean, we know how it ends. We, we, we know where the book is set between, you know, the, the movies that it's set between. So we know what happened before. We know what happened after. It's like, I don't know what this guy's thinking about it. I, I want to know about all of the viewpoint characters, what they were thinking about when they were doing stuff that was in the original movies, because they didn't really get into that very much. Um, one of the scenes that I didn't get to write that I really wanted to write from Shadows was was a scene where they, they pull the, the Falcon into basically a gas station and get out to use the phone. <laughs> and, and, you know, so... So they're behind the guy in line that's talking to his alien girlfriend. I thought that had been hilarious. They, they wouldn't let me have that, but they did let me have the other one that I wanted, which was having 3PO and, and um, R2 fly the Falcon. There's a, there's a scene in there where, you know, not to give anything away. Yeah, but the idea is there's a scene where they actually get to fly the Falcon, and they were neither one of them viewpoint characters. So, so the guy says, so he said, well, you can't let you do that. They're not viewpoint characters. How are you going to pull it off? So I could pull it off. Well, no, we don't really want you to do that. I said, look, I, I promise I will write the scene as a drop-in set piece. And if you don't like it, I'll just take the whole piece out and put it in whatever you want. But I just, I want to have that sequence where they fly the Falcon. And even though they're not viewpoint characters, well, you did it. It's all over the radio. You, you know, you hear the other characters and they're listening to them fly the thing. So you don't see them. And you don't really hear, you know, what they're thinking. Although I think R2 is probably the smartest character in Star Wars, certainly the original movies. Um, but you, you get a chance to play with something that, that you didn't get a chance to play with. So that's always the question, you know, 
it's a question that any fan would ask when you're watching a movie. What are you thinking? You know, what's going on in your head? Why are you doing this stuff? Um, and I got to answer those questions. And it's like, how cool is that? You know, yeah, hey, I yeah. I mean, That's you had to be happened. completely excited to have that and say, "Hey, win that bargain there, you know, write it up, and then, hey, we actually really like that. You executed just like That's you said you would." Yeah, yeah, so. that's exactly what they said. They said, you know, you know that scene you wrote. Yeah, could could you make it a little longer? I said, oh yeah, I, I could probably make it a little. Yeah, longer. I can, I can, I could pull that out for you. No problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I really liked the uh, the stuff on Vader you did with the like the the descriptions where there's like there's this touch of lightness in him that prevents him from completely collapsing into the dark side and stuff like that that really yeah helps you going into return of the jedi and stuff like that it really really does well it's it backstory when you when you're when you write something you write a series and you have something interesting happening and you get a chance to go back and kind of lay in the background it sometimes it makes it more interesting just just in terms of wow you know where everybody knew he had to have some bit of light left in him because not again spoilers but you know there's a sequence <laughs> where he dies and everything and, yeah. and they've changed his face since then but but the idea is here's a guy that that had to have some little bit of something left in there or, or else things not gonna work you know right. instead yeah, yeah just, i gave a little context around it yeah that was great yeah. so as you got involved in this project right you know obviously we know this is a multimedia project lucasfilm yeah. described it as everything besides the movie yeah. So um, how much influence did you have in the other areas? You know, I know there's the, the comic series that fills in part of the story. Uh, there's yeah. obviously the video game that fills in the story. Did you yeah. take the base story and kind of give some of the background to that? Or, or how did that work get divided that's, up? It's pretty much, we had a big meet, meeting at, at, the, at the ranch back when they were still parked at the ranch, and which is a great experience, by the way. It's like, it looks like a giant Methodist youth camp. <laughs> I mean, there's all these buildings, and, it, and you walk in the buildings, and it's all the stuff that's from the movies, and you know, go over and this. So, so we had this big meeting where basically everybody who's going to be involved in the project, either there or sent a proxy, they were there, or they sent somebody as a proxy. And so we started carving it up. Uh, basically, the, the story conference was they had Shizor as the villain. Now, Lucy Bilson came up with the name Shizor because it's it's sort of loosely based on, I guess she had a boyfriend at one point who was uh, Portuguese. And so the, the pronunciation of that XI is SH in Portuguese, uh -huh. apparently. And so they had the villain. We knew what he looked like. They had some of the, some of the ships already laid out. Even she had designed the, some of the, the ships that were going to be used. Uh, but there really was no story. Um, we, we sort of knew vaguely who these people were and, and, and of course, the existing character. You couldn't use Han Solo because he's in Carbonite. So, you know, so basically I had to come up with Han Solo Jr. I mean, that's Dash Rindar basically is a stand-in for, for Han Solo. So we, we, were, we just basically sat down at a big table, uh, round table, and we just started throwing stuff out, and I'm taking notes. And it's like, so the game people say, well, could we have a motorcycle on the, you know, the air cycle race? And, you know, and something, yeah, sure, write that in. Um, you know, and the, the comic book people said, you know, we want the Mandalorian. We, we want to have Boba Fett. And so, I mean, it, I mean, yeah, I can understand why. Sure, you got, so mm -hmm. I basically didn't write about Boba Fett because I knew the comic book people were going to do it. Yeah. Now, as, as it happens, Dark Horse Comics is, I don't know, 20 miles from my house here. So once they, we started splitting it all up, into different, I didn't really have anything to do with the games. Uh, it was all mine was the writing stuff. And so I talked to the, the people at Dark Horse who were, who were working on the project. 
And I just basically said, well, if you got a question, run it past me and I'll, I'll compare it to what I'm doing in the book and we won't get crosswise. Um, so Killian Plunkett, uh, there were, there were, there were several people that were just kind of going through the different pieces. And so we, we just parsed them out. And uh, I came home and I wrote an outline, probably the most extensive outline for anything I've ever done. I think it was probably like 50 double spaced pages. And, and they sent that in. And once they started approving, disapproving stuff, then we just, we just, uh, the whole, the whole process was the way it was spread out was nobody steps on anybody's toes. Nobody says anything. Nobody puts any words out. We just, we just write it and we, and we just go from there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I talked to the comic people and then later on I wrote a sequel for, for Dark Horse. Uh, there was a, a five issue miniseries, um, yeah, uh, evolutions, uh, right? Evolution, yeah, yep. which they made into a graphic. I thought they did a pretty good job on that. The same deal. The the the, the artist for that for that group calls me up and and talks and I said, "Look, what do you like to draw? What kind of backgrounds do you want to put into the into the things? Oh, like mm. jungle spot. We got a jungle scene. Well, I like this. Okay, we'll <laughs> nice. put that in. And you just, I mean, because the story is fluid, you haven't really come up with any any kind of plot, um, and so you can you can put these things in and and then as you go back and forth, you know, you, I mean, they wanted Shizor to be a lot nastier than he was. And they actually wanted to have a sequence where Shizor and, and Leia get it on. Uh, and I said, no, we need no. Are you crazy? I don't want crazy Star Wars fans chasing me down, you know, alleys with pitchforks and torches. <laughs> right, yeah. if I, let, I, got, I got a lot of hate mail as it was because, <laughs> because, because, Leia didn't, you know, she would never do that to Han. Look, let me explain something to you. Leia and Han, they are real people. You know, these are all made up people. We made these things up. But she didn't do anything to Han. Shizor came on. He hit her with the pheromones. They thought they were going to get on. And she gave him the knee and the cojones. That was the end of that. Well, I got people who were very unhappy with that. They blamed me for the Hildebrandt trading cards. I don't know if you saw those. The Hildebrandt brothers did a whole series of cards, and they were gorgeous. I mean, these guys, they could they can draw yeah and and one of them is, uh, is Leia sitting naked on the bed and you missed that one did you <laughs> yeah yeah i guess so uh, i haven't got quite into the cards yet i've been uh eyeing some of those on ebay but yeah i've been looking at them we're uh yeah i got i i got the set early on i had to go out and buy them because he wouldn't send them to me but but i went out and i found a place and i said you know if you have a set of cards yeah 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 well you know so i got it but yeah there's she's sitting on a bed but she's combing her hair and very artfully her arm is poised in such a way that nothing is visible here and she's sitting sideways so nothing is visible below there but she was naked even though you couldn't see anything right. well i got a lot of nasty comments about that but i didn't draw a card yeah but you wrote the scene in the book that, that they wrote the, that they did the cards are well okay i confess to that you know <laughs> people get naked they go to the bathroom they take showers that's you know you're not allowed to talk about that in some, some, some yeah <laughs> yeah that's very true very true right. i can appreciate that <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember reading about some of that, and that's uh, very interesting how people perceived that. And you know, glad you took a stand against that with with them. <laughs> well, they want it to be dark, you know, and they they yeah. told me up up front, look, you know, this is going to be the underbelly of Star Wars, such that it is. We're going to have, you know, let's 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 go down the road to have have it be a little, you know, not bright and shiny. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to have you know, people being murdered and, and done all this stuff, but this, some of these icons are really tough to screw around with. Yeah. And, you know, I, I truly thought that, nah, nah, this is, this is not a good idea for me as a human being. <laughs> yeah. But when I, when I started writing this, uh, I got a call from another Star Wars writer who had written a couple of books and we were chatting about it. And he said, 
don't tell anybody don't don't put on your book jacket where you live because you'll be getting calls at three o'clock in the morning from Star Wars fans and sitting at three o'clock in the morning you don't care if they like it or they hate it you don't want to be talking yeah. to somebody at three o'clock in the morning and and so I said oh that's that's a good notion so I I I had already given the information. The city that I live in was was on the inside of the you know the dust jacket cover. I said, "Is it too late to fix that?" <laughs> and my editor said, "No, we just printed up. We haven't we haven't put anything in press yet. We just printed up copies." And says, "I'll just uh, I'll just have him go through and take that out and just put that you live in Oregon." Said, okay, fine. So he did that. So then he sent me three copies of the of the dust jacket that were the old ones. Well, the misprints mm. and they aren't they don't exist anymore. I have the only three copies of that that exist oh, as far man. as I know. Well, you lucked and out with that one. So you saved you saved they're, yourself they're a lot of late yeah. nights. Well, let's just let's just double check here, shall we? Yeah, go look and see it. It, it probably should say it lives in Oregon. It won't. It shouldn't name the city. So in the back here. Oh yeah. Yep. yep lives in Oregon. Yep. Yes. It's as vague yes. as you wanted it. That's perfect. <laughs> I, had listed, I had listed the city that I live in. It said that'll narrow it down. They can find you, and and they probably can find you anyway. And some of them have, but. The, the 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 joy of it was I, I called up Steve Sansweet who was the head of their um, Sansweet's an interesting character he was one of those guys that that had a real job in the real world he was a big collector he had all the toys he had everything Lucasfilm started calling him up and asking him stuff next thing you know he's running their program he's writing books he's doing all the stuff working full time for Lucas and I said these things worth these oh yeah. He said, they're probably not worth more than a couple hundred bucks a piece now. Hang on to them. 25, 30 years down the line, people find out that there's only three of these things. Is this their Star Wars collectors that will call you up and offer you a blank check? Wow, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if there's anybody out there looking for uh, one of three, you might be able one to reach out here. In a <laughs> limited edition. So uh, there's also um, the secrets of the Shadows of the Empire. So how... How in, much involvement did you have with that process? Did you oh, do some Mark interviews Bob, for that? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I did. And, and uh, uh, the the making of, of Shadows of the Empire, Mark Cardavaz's book, mm -hmm. he, he and I talked a lot about that. He, he called up and asked questions. And did uh, probably, I can't tell you over the years how many interviews I've done. I've had a lot of people that you know, ask questions. And some of the stories are really funny, and some of them are, are not so funny. But <laughs> mostly, uh, I was it was a great experience for me. When, when I signed on, um, the, the, my editor at, at Bantam, uh, Tom said, you know, uh, these guys, there's not a suit in a bunch. These guys are all in it because they really love this stuff. And later on, some suits came in. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Further down the line, there were some problems with, with, with uh, writers in Star Wars. Um, but when I was there, it was like, this is, this is great. Everybody was happy. We, we were all rolling. We were doing what we wanted to do. We were, we were just having fun telling stories. I mean, that's how it works the best. If you work on a show, something like Batman, the animated series, the reason that show worked so well is that everybody was a fan. They all loved it. They all wanted yeah. to do well. And, you know, it had its ups and downs, but it, it, it was a lot better than some of the other shows. Same thing with Disney's Gargoyles. All the people that worked on Gargoyles were like super, you know, fans of, of science fiction, fantasy and all that. Some of the shows you work on, it's like, you know, they're toy shows. You know, you angle in on the Doom drone and, and you watch it for a while because that's, it's there to sell toys. I mean, a lot of that stuff you grew up with in the 80s and 90s was, uh, it was toy stuff. Oh, know, yeah, for sure. Transformers. Shows. Yeah, all oh, yeah. those types of things. Now, that's see, exactly we're really big Ghostbusters fans on our end, so... 
that series was a bit unique because it was extremely well written for the time. It still holds yeah. up. We've kind of been going back and re-enjoying that. And I have two young kids, two young boys, and I've been showing that to them now. And, you know, they like it a lot. But that you was know, one of those. Go, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that was. The story editor was on Ghostbusters. Joe, Joe Straczynski. Yep. J. Michael mm-hmm. Straczynski, yeah. He was, he was tough. He fought for us. We, we wrote some of the stuff we wrote. The network didn't want to let go through. And he stood up and said, yeah, this, this needs to happen. So, yeah. Again, there are people that don't get along well with Joe. Sure. We got along with him really well because he, he, he had our backs. I mean, and you can tell the quality in a show like that that's not based around the toys. It's actually based around the story because yeah. the real Ghostbusters was an afterthought. They, you know, when they came up with the movie, that wasn't anything yeah. on their mind. Yeah. And, and yeah. that made all the difference in the world, right? So, uh, it, it always makes a difference to me. You know, the Harlan Ellison's line is first came the word. If it's well written, you're, you're halfway home. If you get a good actor and good director, that's it. You know, you, there's so many people that can screw up a movie or a TV series um because everybody can lay hands on it I mean, yeah, you know this you're movie freaks you, you you go to movies you you watch these stuff everything's going along really well and then, and then something happens and it's like oh why did they do that i mean <laughs> i have to say i'm a bigger fan of solo than you are and the reason why is that they use my my martial arts they actually mentioned it in the show and that brought me back into canon because otherwise i'm a legend writer Oh, Shadows is is a legend story, although they're starting to bring pieces of it back into the thing. So yeah, yeah, I'll I'll eventually get back to to canon status. Yeah, you're you're gonna you're getting there. Um, from what I've read on the internet now, Dash Rendar is canon because he's mentioned in one of the novelization books for for Solo. Oh, really? Yeah, that's cool. I didn't I didn't know that. And uh, I guess Seizure is uh, he's canon only because at Galaxy's Edge they have a cookbook. And uh, yeah, there's yeah. a seizure salad in it. Yeah, uh, well, there, I think there's actually a cameo in one of the, maybe in the pod race scene or something where they were doing the little figurines, the little tiny ones, oh. as background characters. I think, oh, okay. I think Seizor's in there too. And, and um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, I don't feel bad that I, I'm not in canon. It's just kind of fun. You know, yeah. Just oh, yeah. To, yeah. Well, that's the thing is Star Wars fans respect legends these days i mean there's no, just because it's not canon anymore doesn't mean i mean we're making a podcast about it 25 years later it's not canon yeah. but we're still here doing yeah, it. yeah we yeah. still love it yeah. yeah yeah so i mean i just see a lot of potential for the characters you made maybe not the specific story but that all that hard work you did on creating characters that people love and admire and look up to and appreciate i just see a lot of potential future for them if they actually hopefully uh well, use those ideas I can't imagine that Disney's not going to mind those books because it's the stories and stuff, the characters, you don't have to do the work. Yeah. You just go through and you just pick out somebody that's already established and they've done it with other, other books like that. I mean, uh, Tim Zahn, some of his, I mean, his characters, half of his characters are all canon now. Oh you know, yeah. Like all that work. That... And all, you know, all back in the mm-hmm. animated show. I mean, why would you go? I mean, you got it all later. When, when I first started writing, this is, this is another of those little, little tidbits that, that I thought was fun. Uh, there was no map of the Star Wars universe. There was no, nobody knew how many planets there were, you know, what the galaxy looked like, uh, all the stuff. And so we were just making this stuff up as we went along. And the reason there were so many planets is that you, you didn't worry about stepping on somebody else's toes if you just made up a new planet. Yeah. So I'll just, yeah. I'll come up with something that no one's used before. And then next thing you know, you, you got planets out the wazoo. So, so part of what happened was it was one guy 
fan back to the day in the AOL days, which hmm. probably before you were born. Oh, then, I was all over uh, AOL, AOL, so <laughs> I, was, I, I, I have was a baby trotting along but... there. So, <laughs> so I was on AOL, and and uh, you know, a fan sent me a note. He said, "You know, I have gone through all of the movies." all the books and everything that, that were extant at the time. And I've, I've done um, uh, background on all the planets. I've listed them where they were, what, 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 what solar systems they were in. And, you know, just, just kind of for fun, if you'd like to read it, I'll, I'll send it to you. So, oh, oh, yeah, sure. So he sent me the you know, ASCII file. And, and uh, I read through. I said, this is great. So I sent it to Star Wars. I said, you need to call this guy because he's got stuff going on that your writers need to know. And when you start writing, they, they would send you a, a, a CD, a DVD, probably a DVD now, a CD with, called The Whole Across. And that was, it had all of the information that you needed to write the story. And so they called the guy up and they hired him. And so he basically was the guy that wrote the book on the map of Star Wars. That's awesome. <laughs> that's pretty incredible. Like, that's just a great story. Like, you know, take your fandom and like, let it pay off for you maybe, right? It's, well, there's always that it, chance it that it can. Well, especially in, a, in, a, in a, an organization where there's a lot of fans, because, you know, like, like Steve Sansweet, you know, he was working for a big company. I don't know, somebody in Xerox at the Wall Street Journal, somebody's making good money. And, and he really, really got into the toys early on. And the next thing you know, he's the expert. And they're asking him questions. The next thing you know, he's the guy running their program. They're, you know, he moved out to the ranch and there he is. It's like, he, I think he retired recently. Um, and it's like, hey, if you can make your fandom pay for it, how oh absolutely that? yeah like that's that's work combined work and pleasure right <laughs> absolutely um so from what i understand you basically are the person who conceived dash rendar yeah uh, that is one of those things that's incredible to me because i was i was born in 91 so by the time shadows came out i was i had just i was part of that surge where all their star wars marketing was returning for the special editions and shadows of the empire and all that and the toys were coming out so i was like right there and it felt like felt like it was just happening for me you know so dash rendar has just always been part of my uh head canon in star wars since i can remember since before the prequels and before everything um you know we started going back through last year um, buying some of the old toys and stuff for it just that we had as kids because I, I found the old Outrider in one of our boxes in the attic and we were just like man we gotta we gotta get more of this stuff and dive deep into it and learn more about it and just experience it again because it's incredible and and I feel like it's all like we were just talking about it's gonna start tying into the new stuff they're doing uh, which was what I was gonna ask you is how you have uh how do you feel about mandalorian and stuff like that have you been enjoying that oh hell yeah i mean, you know i mean anything that you can take this in a new direction that nobody really saw coming nobody saw the mandalorian coming i mean it's i was going to going to be one more story about luke and leia and han you know i, I looked at dash as as han's younger brother that's kind of how i i want i would i would love to see them do something together mm. you know i think it would be great but you know it, it, how, how are these things work uh you want somebody that's going to be interesting. That's going to draw people in and it has some character stuff. And, and I was having a discussion online yesterday with somebody about some, some new incarnation, one of the Star Treks that he's watching. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm watching a show and I watched the whole series and these two characters don't never do anything except look, you know, they don't have any lines. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, someone says something, they push a button or they look like this. Said, Does it get any better than this? And someone says, Oh yeah, by the third season, it's going really well. Well, 
about the third season. I'm not going to be watching it. If it's terrible in the first season, if it's terrible in the second season, I'm not going to watch the third season. Maybe it gets better, maybe it doesn't. Life is too short. <laughs> but if you have, you start out good, you start out with something that's interesting. You know, I mean, the very first few episodes, I think, of The Mandalorian were, I mean, they were right there. Uh, at least that's what I thought. Yeah, and you're, you're sure it, got better, it got better and better. It just if if you you pick up a show, I don't know. Did you watch the Watchmen, the 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 series? Yes, I yes, did. I did. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you like those? Oh yeah, it was incredible. Well, and it started out that way. It it opened up with the scene, you know, the, the bombing of Tulsa. And you're going, holy crap! And then what are they going to do to follow this up? And who are mm-hmm. these people? You start out with an interesting setup with interesting characters. And and people will follow you anywhere. I mean, why wouldn't they? I mean, this this is fun. I'm I'm enjoying this. Don't screw it up. I mean, that's that's what you start saying halfway. Yeah. Through. Don't screw it up. They so wait for the last episode of Watchmen, going, oh, don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. The Abyss. That's that's another one that I watch. I like I like The Abyss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started watching it was on Sci-Fi, and then they moved it over. It's like because it just it does some things that I think a lot of science fiction doesn't do particularly well. And it's not perfect, but it's like anything else. It's like you get into something you like, you're interested in what's going on. You're going to go there. Why yeah. would you? So. All right. So an important question to ask, and it's, you know, because we obviously, you know, I, I was born in 84, so I've got the generational gap, right? So my kids will clearly know it influenced me, but as also a musician, I have bands that I grew up on, but when you want to get deeper into something, you want to know what they were influenced by. Yeah. Yeah. So what influenced you to get into sci-fi writing and what are some of your biggest things that maybe aren't in pop culture zeitgeist currently, but are things that we should revisit because, you know, they influenced oh, yeah. you. Oh, sure. The, the, I started out reading ghost stories when I was a kid, you know, horror stories, ghost stories. Um, and then just kind of naturally segued into science fiction because it was the, one of those, well, magical, what if, I mean, my parents had, mainstream books in, in the house and they didn't read and they, they were a book of the month club. They just put them in a bookshelf and they looked nice there. And so I was reading Hemingway when I was 10 years old. Mm. Uh, I didn't understand <laughs> it, but I could read it literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, that's the other thing is, you know, you skip over the parts you don't know. And, and so I got into science fiction and, and there wasn't a lot of it out there because, because I'm considerably older than you. Um, and so you would go to the, to the, this is the old days to the drugstore, to the book rack, and you would pick up whatever science book, fiction book there was, and it cost a quarter or, or 39 cents or whatever, and you would take it home and read. So, so you kind of got into it. So I got into a lot of the, the pulpy stuff, um, the, the science fiction and fantasy writers who did uh, action adventure. Uh, Harry Harrison is, is a, is a good, good example. Uh, but I read all the others, Asimov, Bradbury, Clark, Heinlein, all of the guys who were cranking stuff out uh, for the magazines at, at Penny and Word, and then and then they started making their way into book form. So I read a lot of that stuff. And then as I got a little older, I got into some of the guys who were a little more complicated, you know, Harlan Ellison, um, uh, Robert Sheckley, people like that. And so that sort of formed my basic science fictional uh, grounding, is that you tell a good story, you keep it interesting, you keep it moving. Um, A.E. Van Vogt, uh, there were there were guys that were that were writing just page turners. You couldn't put it down. I mean, like you know, you you could see the end of it. And so 
those were the those were the early science fiction influences I had. And I was reading other stuff too. I was one of those geeky kids that you know wore glasses and sat at home and read when I when nobody would throw me out of the house. So I was in the bedroom with books all the time. And so I read everything. I read westerns. I read detective novels. I read you know if if, if I were sitting at the table at breakfast, I was reading the cereal box. Um, uh, that's just what I did. I was a reader. And then, of course, television came along when I was young. I, I'm, I'm the last of the radio generation. I remember listening to The Shadow on radio when I was a kid. And and um, we got into to, to television. So we had black and white TV. And it was probably you know smaller than your computer, about the size of a, of a, of a laptop. And Superman, The Adventures of Superman, the old, the old uh, the first television series, um, George Reeves. Uh, and then anything that came along, any of the science fiction fantasy movies we'd go see. We, we grew up in the 50s with a paranoid 50s where they were running all of these, uh, you know, alien invasion movies, War mm-hmm. of the Worlds. Uh, uh, I mean, the, we'd go to like a double or, or triple or quadruple feature on fr- on Saturday and go in in the morning and stay there all day watching movies, <laughs> science fiction, yeah. fantasy monster movies and stuff. Most of it was I mean, terrible, but some of them were really good. The Day the Air Still Stood Still as a, as a science fiction movie, uh, it still holds up. You know, oh, it's yeah. still got one of the best spaceships ever made. If you walk in, you know, to the ship and you're watching these waving his hand, things are going, that's so cool. And they did this in like, what, 1954 or something. So these, you know, the, as, as, as me, a kid growing up in, in Louisiana, which is not necessarily the most enlightened of places, um, reading books and seeing movies like that. So that was my, that was, that's who I had as, as a basis for writers. And so when I started writing, I wanted to write stories that I would read if somebody else had written them. So that's that's why most of the stuff that I write is kind of pulpy. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of martial arts and and weapons and and you know, space opera. Basically, yeah. it's, it's, that's that's the term that I use for most of what I do. And this, when we talk about that, that's what it is: space opera. You know, you hop in your spaceship, zip, you're going across. So Star Wars is a natural. I mean, oh, that's yeah. that's all it is. It's you know, yeah, I know Kurosawa. I know about you know the the hidden fortress and and. In, on all the all of those things but i mean lucas is just a little older than i am and grew up in the same time and so that was a lot of that was a lot of that was influences on, on him so i think that really lends to why shadows of the empire struck such a chord with me just because it fits so well with that original trilogy and so you know you being in that same age range and having those same influences you're able to chew in and have a perfect kind of way to com- tell it compelling story there that we didn't necessarily knew we needed but once you have it you can't live without it yeah yeah well i, I kind of like to think that yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you know i i, I kind of delved back into the into the universe i wrote a, actually i probably probably written three or four books uh two, three, four. yeah uh i used to write with a guy named michael reeves who's mm-hmm. who um he, so he and i wrote uh, a couple of uh, star wars novels together that were sort of basically like mash in space Jedi were, healers, were, right? Yeah, Jedi healer, yeah, and, uh, and, and battle surgeons, yeah, and and then 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 we wrote uh, Death Star, which was essentially what happened on the Death Star before it blew up, <laughs> and there was one scene that that was going to justify the whole book to me. Why didn't the guy pull the handle and blow that you know right out right blow the planet right out of the universe? He hesitated, so I got to write the sequence in that book where. 
I don't know the Death Star necessarily worked as well as, as Shadows, but there there was a, the sequence where the, the guy is going to pull the handle and blow the planet up, and he hesitates. I want to know why did he hesitate? Just oh. just just mm-hmm. this second. So I got to write that sequence. I, I went inside the character's head, and so now I know why he hesitated and why the Death Star got blown up. At least that version of the Death Star. So yeah, that's 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 one of those things that that you know. I want to I want to write books that that I would read if someone else had written them. That's that's sort of my my basic criterion for for a novel that I'm working on. And sometimes I get there, and sometimes I I you know nobody's perfect. We don't all bat a thousand, but but you know that's what you shoot for. Absolutely. So you also wrote an episode of uh, Extreme Ghostbusters, which yeah. we uh, <laughs> we're one of the few people out there. Ghostbusters related, who uh, really like that show, actually, and uh, <laughs> even even we we were, we've been going through episode by episode. We're about halfway through that series. We've reviewed. We've actually already reviewed yours, and I think that's the one that has like one of the best reviews we've done. And that is, oh yeah, that's pretty that's much one of the best episodes review. of that show. Because there's some that kind of just fall through and they feel a little bit fillery. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people just miss the other Ghostbusters. I was happy to see new stuff, and I was young enough that it didn't matter to me. It was a great show, and but. But watching it back, that episode is one of the best, if not the best of that of that series. Well, it's you know you do what you can with what you got, and and I mean I was a fan of Ghostbusters. I mean, yeah. how could you not be a fan of Ghostbusters? And so you know when I got a chance to write for the series, it's like yeah, sure, you know. And I didn't know who Joe Straczynski was at the time, uh, but my buddy Reeves lived in L.A. and he was writing a lot of animation. He'd probably written more animation than any five guys that I know he did it for years and years and years and so he would say well you want to work on this show and yeah sure why not so it was kind of fun it paid well i mean this is the thing about writing for television even animation which is like the salt mines of tv you know you don't really get paid very well for animated shows the union was really bad for a long time until they sort of hooked up with the wga and so you you would you know people go like that's that's terrible money i mean if you write an episode of a live action show you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars and you, you know you write an episode back when i was writing um, of any of the shows that i was working on you're looking at anywhere from 15 or 1800 bucks to as much as five or six grand but i could turn out one of those in three days and and if i was in a real hurry and i had an outline approved i could do one in one day because it was only a 22-minute show, which basically meant the script had to be about 40 pages long. Yeah. And, and it was a lot of action. There was no explanatory long stretches of dialogue. It was, this is, and, and when you write animation, I don't know if you, you really play with the scripts and stuff, when you write animation, it's a director's script. You write everything. You write where the camera is. You write where the, you know, how many people are in the shot. You describe everything because it's going to go to an animator. Because somebody's going to storyboard it but then it's going to go to an animator in, in Japan or China. And, and they're going to basically use the storyboards that your, your storyboard artist took from, from the script that you wrote. And so it's all visual. I mean, there's, 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 if you go through and read some of these scripts, they'd be 20 pages long and like the dialogue would be like two lines in the middle of the page and there's a lot of action and there's two more lines. And then, so that's, that's the process. It, it's basically comic books that move. Yeah. Which is why I didn't have any trouble writing comic books when I sat down to write them. I said, oh, okay, just animation with the pictures don't move. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's uh, pretty intriguing. So do you recall the first animated series you uh, wrote for? Uh, I think it was Centurions. 
Um, yeah. I, I think my, my first, <laughs> and that's another funny story. I don't want to run over your time, but, but uh, Reeves lived in LA and I was living in Oregon. And so he said, they're, they're really big, before, this is before the internet became something. We, we were at one point sending scripts back and forth by mailing floppy disks to each other. Oh, right? yep, yep. <laughs> or sending them over CompuServe at 300 baud, which is about as fast as you can type. And, and uh, so he said, you need to come down here and go to these meetings with me on some of these shows because they have like a cattle call. They're inviting a bunch of writers to come in. They're going to lay out the characters and they're going to show us the, the, the toys and, and the examples and, and the, you know, the, the Bible. And then, you know, they want to, they want FaceTime. They want to see who you are. They want to be able to talk to you. And so I said, okay, fine. So I went down to go to the Centurion show, which was a toy show. I mean, essentially that's another one of the toy shows, but it, it had some really decent writers who were interested in working on it and a good story editor. And so we go into this big meeting and there's like 20 writers. We're all sitting around the room, in different places. And they bring out the, the model of Jake or Ace, one of the, one of the centurions with the, like, he has the rotating cannon on his chest. I think it's Jake. And so they were asking questions like, excuse me, but uh, which way does Jake's cannon rotate? Clockwise or counterclockwise? And they knew clockwise. Let me write it down because you don't want to say something wrong when you write the script. And I'm sitting with myself, you were grown men sitting in this room talking about which way Jake's cannon rotates. I mean, <laughs> give me a fucking break. And so, I can use that word, right? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Speak freely yeah. with us. Yeah, I'm sure you've <laughs> yes, heard yeah. us say words. You've listened to right. us, yeah. Yeah, I've heard, yeah, I've heard your show, so I'm assuming it's okay. Um, <laughs> so, so the, the, and I'm, I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wow, you know, but I'm thinking, I, you know, I want the job because I'm going to make $2,000 or $3,000 for two days work, and I can't make any, that kind of money do anything honest. And so I'm sitting there trying to keep my face, and across from me is a writer, and I'm going to mention him by name because it's the one he's written, Michael Cassett. Who, who's written a lot of live action stuff and zombie pictures and, and movies and stuff. So he's, he's been in business for a while. This was one of his first gigs too. So he's sitting across the table and they're going on and on about Jake's cannon and about, you know, the, the, the motors on the back and the kind of, and I look up at Catherine's giving me that grin that your little brother gives you at the table when your father says, don't you make any noise. Don't, don't <laughs> you shut up. And, and you know, you're going to laugh and your yeah. brother's egging you on. Go ahead. <laughs> So Cassett's over there doing this. I'm going, don't look at him. Just, just you know, look somewhere else. Don't pay, because if I look at him, I'm going to laugh. And if I'm going to laugh, you're going to throw me out. And I'm not going to get this job. And so I used to I used to rag him about that when I'd see him once in a while. I said, yeah, yeah, you're the reason I got into this business. But Reeves dragged me in there kicking and screaming. But, you know, if, if I had kept looking at you, I wouldn't have written any cartoons at all. Mm-hmm. You know, they would have thrown me out the door for going, you got to be kidding me. Um, oh, for but sure. You have to take it. This is the other thing. If you're writing for a show, like you really have to take it seriously. You you can't thumb somebody in the eye. I mean, the, the I don't know if you saw the uh, the Shadow movie uh, that came out a few years ago. Uh, I listened to Shadow on radio. I, I read those books when I was a kid. And so when they did the movie, they were camping it. They were camping it up. They were playing it. It looked great. It had some good stuff in it. Some great sequences in it. You know, and it was like this general story was there. But they were just kind of always winking at the camera just a little bit, you know, about if you watch it, if you haven't seen it recently, watch it again and look for that and you'll notice it. It's like, you know, there's a little tongue in the cheek here. I'm going to say this line, but I don't really mean it. And okay. so you can't do that if you're writing something. If, if you're writing, unless that's the intent of the thing to, 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 for it to be a, that kind of farce, right. you have to play it straight. You have to write straight. That's the reason Star Wars worked. Some of the dialogue in those first movies is just, I mean, if you, if you, 
you go back and you you watch it, you watch it with, with the eyes of someone who knows the story in the movies and likes these people and knows all the history and knows about the actors. Yeah. You, you're giving it a pass that a lot of people, <laughs> we're going to give it a pass when they saw it. And some of the dialogue is just like, oh, that's just, oh, just it's a groaner. You certainly could have done better than that. <laughs> but it su- succeeded despite that. And so Absolutely. it's because they played it straight. They, they, they didn't, you never saw basically Harrison Ford look at the camera going, I got to say this line. This is what they're paying me for. You know, it's like mm-hmm. what happened to Bruce Willis. You know, he just kind of comes up, shows up, waves his hand, collects his check and goes home. You know, he used to be a really good actor. He used to do some really good movies. Yeah. Um, some of the stuff he's done lately, it's like, yeah, kind of back up to collect your check because, you know, you didn't really, you didn't really do anything to earn it except to stand there and be Bruce Willis. Yeah, you became not, a not, you became not your, Bruce, and I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, not yeah. Close. When you start getting comfortable as who you are as a role versus taking on a character role, yeah, yeah. yeah I think so, everyone, you know, big, big, big names get to that sometimes. So we're oh, uh, we're, oh, yeah. we're talking about Fifth Element this week, so we know about some Bruce oh, yeah. Willis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd say yeah, and I think when he was on, I mean, I liked the Fifth Element. Yeah. Just, how, how could you not like the Fifth Element? It's mm-hmm. a great movie. Yeah. No, and and it, it yeah, we all get that way. As as you get further up the ladder, for for whatever field you're in, you start sometimes taking yourself a little too seriously, and the next thing you know, you're you're producing uh, stuff that's a little on the bombastic side, and then you just start to think, you know, all these people tell me how great I am, you start agreeing with them. I the, the writers that I know that are the best, uh, they don't do that. They, you know, I, I, I correspond with David Gerald. He wrote Trouble with Tribbles, amongst many other things. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's always like, God, I, I, I worry that I'm going to pull off this off in the next book. You know, and, Jesus, you've written more books than God. You've got racks and racks <laughs> of books and they've sold. You've done this and you're famous. But he doesn't rest on his laurels. He doesn't say, OK, I can just phone this in. Um, it's really easy sometimes to say, well, I'll just dash this off. But if you if you if you're writing for somebody else's property and it's it's a shared universe, you have to put as much juice and energy into that as you do writing your own original stuff. Um, otherwise, you you're a hack. And I don't mind being called a hack because some of the stuff I've written, I you know I kind of had to grit my teeth and 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 get through it. Long about the the fourth or fifth Conan novel, I was going bananas, <laughs> you know, because because Conan doesn't change. Conan. Yeah. It's the same at the end as he was at the beginning. Conan, by the time he's 30 years old, would be one huge keloid because he would have been cut so many times by so many swords. If he picked up his arm, his foot would come off the ground. He would be, you know, <laughs> be a mass of scar tissue. And Conan's way of dealing with any kind of opposition was whip out his sword and cut it down, number one. Number two, whip out his sword and cut it down. That's all Conan knew how to do. And he never was the same. You can't lop off an arm or have him change philosophically because he – his arc goes from the time he's about 15 until he's in his 60s. And so you know that you have to, you have to stay with those elements. But good fiction is about change. And so you have characters that are, that are, that are coming up. I mean, the reason, one of the reasons Star Wars works as well as it does generally is that they start with a character who's at this point in their life, and they had a life before, and they're going to have a life after. And that's what you do. You just, I'm just going to show you this piece. But if I just show you this piece and, and it looks like he just came into being right now and then and after it's over, he doesn't exist anymore, then that's not a good arc. It, it doesn't give you anywhere to go. Whereas if you assume there's a backstory, even if you don't know what it is, if, it, if it's between the lines, it matters. If you assume there's going to be a post story unless you kill him off, 
then then it's like, okay, I'm just going to show you this piece of this person's life and I'll keep it interesting. But there was more and it was interesting and there's more after that and it's going to be interesting too. Mm. So that, that for me is what it's compelling as, as a yeah. reader or, or as a viewer. You know, I want to see a movie when I get to the end, I'm going, oh man, no, no, I want to show me some more. Where's the next, when's the next one coming out? You know, yeah, that's, you know that's something's what, doing a great job is when it leaves you with more questions than it actually answered because you just yes. want to dive deeper. You just want to know what's yeah, next it, or it, what happened before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what, and you hope it's coming back. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the reason episodic television works is you want to see what they do this week. We want to know what they did last week. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you have a favorite character and you want to follow them. You want them to follow them. It's it's not that McDonald's makes the best food in the world. It's it's always the same. You know, when you go into McDonald's in Poughkeepsie, it's going to be the same as McDonald's in, in Pacoima. I mean, it, it it's that's that's what the people go for the experience. And some of the fiction that I read, some of the characters, some of the episodic stuff I read, it's like, I really like these people. And I don't really care what they do. I just want to watch them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It's the characters, not necessarily the the story around it, but that's great. Yeah. I had uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you about, which is a quote uh, I read in The uh, Secrets of the Shadows of the Empire last night about you were talking about uh, living here in the future. I wanted to uh, see if you had any updates on that now that we're 25 <laughs> additional yeah. years into the future yeah, and things are wildly different <laughs> yes yeah yeah, yeah it's it, that's an old science fictional joke any great to be living here in the future yeah because when i was a kid growing up compared to now yeah all the stuff we're doing now was in the future you know we're talking online i'm yeah. using my ipad which is on a stand uh to zoom that that concept existed in dick tracy's wrist radio television radio but it didn't exist in the real world. So yeah. as the future has come along, it's like, wow, you know, I sort of didn't see this happening in the future. I mean, you know, you can, you can go to Kmart and buy an electronic watch that kept better time than the most expensive Swiss chronometer ever made for $9. And when it, when it, when it, when it died, you just threw it away because it was cheaper to, to get a new one than to buy a battery and have it fixed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's part of what happens is that 25 years on, I'm still amazed that I'm making any money and I'm not making a lot of money because, because it's, you know, it's 25 years on, but I still get people that buy the books. Every once in a while, I'll get a note from somebody that says, this red shadows of the empire really liked it. You speak to a passing parade. Hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, the joke is, yeah, the future has gotten here, but compared to where I was, yeah. you know, if, if you go back, you know, one or two generations before your parents, you look at people that, you know, I mean, Two generations back from my parents, you know, I, we got my, my great grandfather was born in the 1800s. You know, he rode around in a wagon. I mean, yeah. and we've come a long way in what, what, what I think is a relatively short amount of time. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm amazed that people still, I still get calls from people or notes saying, you know, Shadows of the Empire, wow, that, that was so cool. Um, you know, thank you. I, I thought it was pretty cool myself, but. <laughs> But I'm I'm kind of surprised that it, it's it's still still out there because um, you I mean you you don't really expect I mean I'm when you write literature that's the definition of literature is that it, it lasts it, it it keeps going you know a book that's 200 years old people are still reading it and getting off on it that's literature yeah I'm writing for like somebody's going to the 7-Eleven store and they they see a book and and they see a six pack of beer and they get the book instead of the beer. And then they go home and they're glad they did. That's my audience. I mean, I'm writing for people who are going to read it, you know, maybe leave it on the plane when they're done with it. But did I entertain them while they were on the plane when they read the book? That's, that's all I want to do. Tell, a, tell them a story. 
and if they like it, I did my job. If they don't like it, I didn't, I didn't do too well. And I'll try better next time. So you, I, like philosophically, that's that's you know moving into the future. I want to do. Well, by the way, I just noticed those microphones. That's cool. I I've seen those. This guy that makes these is he in Oregon? The guy that makes those microphones, you know. Uh, these microphones are blue microphones. They're the um, blue sparks. So there's probably something similar on the, uh, the yeah. other model. I think they're based out of California, though. Yeah, yeah, because I've got a blue Yeti for, for my my uh, my computer. Oh yeah, oh, that's cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, you're right. right. <laughs> so uh, I think we pretty much covered everything. Really appreciate your time today. Um, do you have any projects coming up that are releasing soon, or anything you've been working on you want to touch on real quick while we got you? Uh, sure. Uh, well, not really. It's going to be any good because I'm, I'm, I've been lazy lately. I have a book. Uh, I have I wrote a series of books about uh, martial art bodyguards in the future. And the series runs a dozen books or so. And then my company decided they want to do any more. So I stopped writing. But I had I wanted to wrap it up. So I'm, I'm doing uh, a, it's called the Matador series and they're action adventures, you know, space opera stuff. And I wanted to, to do one more book in the series. So I'll probably just go straight to Amazon or, you know, one of the other e-platforms uh, when I get it done. But I've been lazy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 250 pages into it and I'm just kind of poking along. Um, nothing else really like it. I write, I write a lot more short stories now because they're easy. You sure. track a short story. Yeah, I do it quickly and get it out and you, you know, it's published and you don't have to worry about it. So, yeah, nothing else. I'm working on a couple of movie projects with, Mike Richardson and Dark Horse, which may or may not ever see fruition, and I can't really talk about. But yeah. sure. Um, well, yeah. we know comic books can wind up in limbo for a while. So. <laughs> oh yeah, and movies, movies too. And you know, yep. my movie experience has been, uh, you know, you just sort of never know where it's going to go. And, and you know, sometimes you get paid, and that's good. But so far, none of my movies have made it to the screen, which is not as good. Well, Maybe better late than never. Long. We'll we'll cross our fingers for you and hope you get to the big screen sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to your review. <laughs> <It'll>, <laughs> we'll, we'll be sure to screen it by you before we uh, talk about it. Yeah. So. yeah right. It'll be uh, it'll be great to, it would be great, let's say, to uh, see you return to Star Wars if they if they ever asked you again. Do you think you'd be down? I I'm not sure. I have to stop sure. thinking because they've asked me a couple of times and I've turned them down. It, it, Ooh, recently, yeah. I came up with an idea for entertainment in the Star Wars universe where we were going to get into the whole idea of like rock bands and, and music stars and, and people doing all that stuff. And we thought it'd be a great idea. And they said, yeah, that sounds great. We want you to put these people in it. It's like, no, we don't want to put those people in. We want to do something else. And they said, well, yes. And so we, we just, we declined. Later they came back and they said, we'd like you to kind of deal with this a little bit. I still didn't want to do it. And mm -hmm. Reeves said, is it okay if I do it with my new collaborator? I said, yeah, sure, you sure. So he actually did write a book okay. on the Star Wars universe. But yeah, um, yeah, I wrote an Indiana Jones book instead. Uh, they asked me, well, you're not going to do the Star Wars, would you, would you like to do an Indiana Jones book? Like, yeah, I had done one of those, sure. Yeah, that's so a fair trade, I would say, right? Yeah, I thought yeah. so too. And it's all about zombies. And, you know, I've got two different kinds. I've got chemical zombies and I've got magic zombies. I, I had a great Oh, man, it's that's amazing. It's We're a little tough. Yeah, you know, well, Indiana's getting on in age. And this book was in the 40s. He was already, he was already middle aged then. So God knows what they're going to do with the next movie. If yeah. they have any brains, and, and I don't want to waste your time, but if they have any brains with the next Indiana Jones movie, what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll start out with how old he is. And they'll deal with it. They they won't have him swinging on on the the thing. Oh, right. They'll have him fight smarter and not harder. Because 
Ford can do that. He's a good enough actor. He can pull that off. And you could have a ball with that. You need to oh, hire yeah. an old, old guy to write it. Yeah. You know, somebody, somebody who knows what it's like to get out and Creek. And then you could have all that stuff with him, like taking yoga class or Tai Chi or doing something where he's trying to get in shape and realizing he's never going to make it, you know, yeah. he's, you know, so. Yeah, he's he's past his prime there, maybe. <laughs> well, well, well yeah. past his prime. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Steve. And uh, yeah, we look forward you. to seeing what you do next. And uh, hopefully, maybe some more Star Wars if we uh, cross our fingers and hope you find a project that you like enough to write as we'd much. Hopefully, they can seduce you. Yeah, yeah. To the dark yeah. side. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. You know, I'm not sure how, <laughs> how the mouse regards me these days, but. I appreciate you having me on your show and, you know, break a leg. I hope it, you know, that it, it draws some readers. All, All right. Man. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank have you. A great have day. a great night. Yeah, you too. Take care. Thanks. These are my dinner guests. The Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. The Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Steve Perry.